0: Welcome, everyone, to Overcome Podcast. Thanks again for joining the show. Today, we have a very, very special guest, Olympian athlete from Canada, Liz Griddle. Thank you very much for being here today, Liz. Yeah, my pleasure. Liz, um, I will cover how I met you uh, recently, but I want to start going back all the way to London 2012. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was a very important milestone in your career, as far as I was reading about and uh, also a great moment for Canada as well because uh, you were the first Canadian woman uh, javelin thrower to advance that far in the game since Mexico 1968 uh, did that give you an extra motivation or you were not really thinking about that you were so focused on doing what you had to do
1: I was more yeah I was more focused on really getting to the games getting to the games was the priority and I you know once I did it then the priority really shifted to making the final and it wasn't about doing something that had never been done it was just kind of like okay what's the next step how are we moving forward on this so it's funny I've I have, I always had my eye on the Canadian record because it wasn't as high as other countries, but it was never something that seemed super insurmountable. It's, it seemed like something at a certain time that I would just eventually break. So there's been things about being a Canadian javelin thrower that have just been a little bit easier in that way that I haven't felt like there's this enormous thing that I'm striving for. It's like, okay, what's the next step? It's it's a big step, but it's not completely insurmountable.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and it was interesting that... Um, one year later, on the two thousand and thirteen season, looks like you had a, a back injury. Um, how, yeah, how 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 bad. that how that really <laughs> happened, and uh, how was you know your mindset at that point to recover after such a great year in two thousand and twelve?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So in two thousand and twelve, actually in the Olympic final, um, we have something in javelin it's called the block. So the left leg lands super straight. And then you rotate your right side, your right leg, the slingshot of power around your left leg. And if you don't block in the exact right position, you jam your hip, you jam your SI joint and it kind of hurts. And this is really common for javelin throwers. And, um, it hurt. I heard a little bit in London, but then, I kept training in 2013, and what happened is that my back got tighter and tighter and tighter. And as a javelin thrower, we have a tendency to overuse our lats. And when those get really tight, it actually pulls on your hips a lot of the time. And so it was pulling on my SI joint so hard that it basically, the left SI joint was completely loose and the right was locked. And so whenever I went to go block, it got so bad by March 2013 that whenever I went to I would borderline start blacking out when I started to throw from the pain. And it would kind of come to after every throw, but I was just like, I expected the pain. So I just kept going. And then when I did my first competition of the season and my only competition in 2013, I realized that that was, I couldn't keep going. I could barely get myself out of bed some days. And so I had to see a bunch of specialists. Some people said surgery. Some people wanted to shoot me up with prolotherapy. Other people thought I just had a loose hip. Um, a lot of people didn't know what was going on. And then I found my physiotherapist through a referral through another amazing physiotherapist. And she said, I don't think it's your back. I'm sorry, I don't think it's your hip.
0: Hmm.
1: I think that your thorax is so unbalanced, so misaligned. And that your lats are doing everything for you that is creating a strength imbalance. And you are now, your hip is accommodating for this huge dysfunctional imbalance in your thorax. So I took, I guess, 10 months off of lifting, throwing, sprinting, (laughs) jumping, anything that looks like track. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I just did rehab. I remember. I started out at one point. I couldn't do a tricep extension, so laying on my back, hands over my head, holding literally one pound in each hand, I could do three reps properly just using my triceps. Um, Otherwise I would convert to using my lats. Wow. That's how imbalanced I was. That's how lat-dominant I was.
0: I I heard a lot about athletes that went through, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but real quick, I want to uh, go through this line of thinking. As you go through the recovery, I heard from many athletes that during this recovery phase, they also deal with a lot of uh, depression because they are out of their realm uh, doing what they love to do. How did you deal with that? Did you actually felt this or you were also focused on getting better day after day?
1: Yeah, well, I was focused on getting better and my physiotherapist is amazing. And I remember the first time we realized. I really realized that she was right. I had three therapists actually working on me simultaneously to test to see if it was indeed my thorax and not my hip. And so I had two people with their hands just like in my rib cage and another person holding a correction of my foot and then another person who was testing my hips. And all of a sudden they said, okay, everybody go in and correct and everybody goes in. And all of a sudden I take this huge deep breath and I, it's like, <gasps> and it's like, oh, I didn't know my lungs could feel like that. And all the pain in my hip melted away. And then when they let go, it came back. And so the recovery was basically loosening up and aligning my rib cage and then strengthening it so that everything was stacked, aligned and wasn't giving me all this grief. So it was very, very specific strength patterns holding very small modifications within my rib cage, my thorax. And I remember remember one day I was crying at the office because it was six months, I still couldn't do anything that looked like track and field training. And I was, you know, so sad because I, I said, you know, I'm doing these tricep extensions with 10 pounds in my hands. I used to do this for like 100 pounds. And this is ridiculous. And my physio, LJ, LJ Lee, she says, Liz, do you remember when you couldn't do one pound for three reps? And I was like, oh, right. We've actually come a very long yeah. way. <laughs> so when I actually went back to javelin throwing, which was in, oh, I think, March or February of 2014, all I did was rehab. And javelin that was it no other training and then after three months of throwing javelin but really queuing on healthy alignment and focusing on technique i ended up being able to throw 64 meters i broke my canadian record by three meters actually and it was it was really this huge lesson in doing something right instead of doing something as hard as possible Makes you gives you a lot of longevity in sport, and it gives you a lot of mental longevity to know that you're not just working so hard, but working against yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah so, absolutely, yeah. that's a good point. And and actually, I remember during the the seminar that I watched with you uh, recently, you emphasized the importance of rest and recovery. Uh, but we also hear mainly athletes. Uh, they have that mindset of when your body says no, your mind must be strong and say yes. You gotta go. You gotta go through the pain. But then at the same time, they say, "Well, you gotta listen to your body." Uh, so what is the you know the the limit where you should like okay something is wrong? For example, on this on this uh, first injury, did you now that with all your experience, do you think that you should have? look for help early on and probably be better, or were you just having that mindset of keep keep going through the pain?
1: Yeah. Well, I think uh, as a javelin thrower especially, a lot of things hurt. There's very few javelin throwers who are just supremely healthy. (laughs) It's it's just one of the sports. uh, Next to triple jump, javelin has the highest rate of injury in track and field. Wow. Yeah. And it has the highest variety of injuries in track and field. So there's always something that doesn't feel great um and so i kind of had accepted that that i was always in pain and it was you know many years later whereas i only kind of figured out like oh i don't have to do this and it really does come from that mentality of like i will not be at work, and i will always get everything done and the thing is, is like that actually makes you ignore your body and there's that fine it, it's a very fine line and you have to you have to pass that line at some point in your life to be able to say, okay, I now know what that line is. And even for me right now, like my shoulder was in grief this week. And so I said, okay, I'm just gonna take this week off from throwing. I'm gonna do runway work. I'm gonna do a bunch of little rehab things and I'll be fine. But instead of pushing through and then making it worse. And so I think it's really, you gotta figure out what that line is for yourself and know the difference between hurt and hurting. Are you hurting because you're doing a really hard, intense cardiovascular workout? Or are you hurting because you're putting your body in a compromising position, either on one explosive movement or repeatedly? And so what I aim for a lot of the time in any movements that I do is, can I maintain my form to 85% of you know, perfect? And as soon as I start to lose it, I'm now practicing the incorrect motion. And I think that's really important especially for anybody who runs because as soon as people try and run to get in shape but then they're pushing through but their form is absolute garbage and they're hurting their back and they're creating all these tensions and I find that that's always a really good cue is it's okay not to push yourself to completely gas yourself if you're falling apart technically because that leads to so many more problems you just be patient
0: but that came with experience Uh, nowadays I mean many years later you you learn that you didn't have this mentality back in 2013 probably
1: no, I did not. Absolutely not. It was before the solidification of the morning routine. It was before I was really controlling my sleep. It was when I still had a couple glasses of wine every week. It was, you know, it feels like a very, very much a lifetime ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. You ha- you also had a great 2015 season, breaking records and everything. But yeah. then another back injury in 2016. And now that yeah. probably was even more <laughs> challenged because you were ready to qualify for the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio, so what were, at that point, the lessons that you learned uh, on the first injury that you are like, okay, now I, I already know this, I felt this before, at least something similar, I know what to do, so how, what, the recovery was faster, uh, what did you change uh, throughout the, the, this rehab?
1: Yeah, definitely very different back injury. Um, I was actually doing cleans, and I was I was a monster in 2016. Uh, the video, oh, the video from January 2016 of me training is just beautiful. And I was actually one of the uh, literally poster children for the Canadian Olympic Committee. They, I was in the Ice in Our Veins campaign. We took pictures, yeah. videos of me throwing off of ice floats. Yeah, it was crazy. It was really fun.
0: <laughs> awesome. It
1: was. Yeah, and I was so strong. And I was cleaning um, three sets of two at like between 200 and 215 pounds. And I could just power this up. No problem. Yeah. And uh, I finished my set of cleans. And I was going to put them away. So I, you know, unstacked the bar. There was maybe just, I don't know, 135 pounds on the bar, which is nothing when you've been cleaning 215. And I forgot to hook grip. And hook grip is, it guarantees that you don't let go of the bar. Especially if you have weak grip strength. And I don't like using straps. So I forgot to hook grip. I powered up and i let go of the bar and i launched myself off of the platform and i landed on my hips so i landed flat on my butt wow. and i got a shock injury to my spinal cord
0: that is very bizarre type of injury <laughs> wow unbelievable yeah.
1: and at the time i thought i just hurt my pride uh, i thought i just you know bruised my butt no big deal kind of embarrassing in front of a bunch of people whatever and then I wake up the next morning and everything from my the top of my knees to my belly button is in complete spasm. I had to roll out of bed onto the floor and crawl to get to the car so I could drive to physio. Wow. And so again, Dr. LJ Lee to the rescue. She needles me for two hours <laughs> straight and I'm feeling decently better. And then I actually have to go to training camp three days later down in the south. And I'm trying to throw and every throw I take, I can't coordinate my legs. So if you throw a javelin, you run straight forward and then you turn sideways, but it's not karaoke. The The back leg never goes behind the front leg. You're always still running on the two same lines that you were running on when you're running forward. And for the first time in my life, I kicked my right leg behind my left leg down the runway because they were so uncoordinated. And so every throw, I couldn't make a technical adjustment. It felt like my legs weren't even obeying my brain. So that was about two and a half months of that. <laughs> And I was really, I was quite mentally strong through this time. I was actually very proud of myself. I'd always say, "It's okay, I'll come back. The next day is a new day. Next day is a new day." But then around that two and a half month mark, I was getting really frustrated and really nervous because I hadn't completely qualified for the Olympics yet, and my body wasn't working the way it was a couple months ago. Never mind even a couple of years yeah. ago. I wasn't throwing what I needed to be throwing. So I did end up qualifying, which was amazing. But then I showed up, I placed 16th, and everybody thought, what happened to Liz? Like, everybody just thought I performed poorly that year or just hadn't gone well. But a lot of people, social media wasn't quite the same as it is now. And a lot of people didn't really know what I'd gone through to even just get to the Olympics. And it was it was a very frustrating yeah, year. Yeah, it
0: was definitely a, a, a huge overcome for you from, you know, that injury to even qualify. And that's, the, that's sad because people don't see the entire picture to really uh, criticize, so... But it it was a great example of uh, overcoming a huge obstacle. Uh, Quite amazing. Now, throughout your career, you probably met a lot of athletes. Uh, Some were able to accomplish a lot of things. Uh, Some others may not. Um, With your experience throughout all those years as an athlete, um, what are some key attributes that you saw over the years that all great athletes, yourself included, they had consistently Uh, and some of the things that they did consistently to achieve what they did and you can use your own experience Uh, i think yeah
1: absolutely um i think for a lot of athletes especially in track um there's very few track athletes who have a full-time outside job it's really hard to recover to do the workouts that we need to do and perform at the track especially since we can't outsmart people a lot of the time maybe the middle distance runners a little bit but even then their engine their fitness is so important and that your recovery is such a huge part of your training program and that's the real difference i find is when people start looking at the recovery not as you know just a little bit of sleeping and eating but okay how am i spending my day and how is this affecting my energy levels for my next practice and that even involves making sure you're not running around doing a ton of chores making sure you're not doing a ton of extra work and really making sure that a lot of your energy is primed and dedicated to your practice sessions. So I find in track, that's what makes a really, really big difference. It's obviously very different in different sports though. Uh, If you are a tactical person, if you make strategic decisions, you don't have to be quite as... uh, quite as picky about your recovery because you can get away with it in other areas.
0: But how important is the mindset? Because uh, I know you are big on that and you showed that on on your second uh, injury recovery throughout a uh, positive thinking and all that. Do you also believe that uh, some most of the athletes that are able to go to that next level is just because they, are, they have that mental toughness aspect?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I was actually thinking about this a while ago that these last three games... Were inspired by very different things. The first games was partially, I'll show them what I can do, because well, I thought a lot of people didn't believe in me, uh, and that was partially what it was. It was like, you don't think I can make it? Watch me. <laughs> like <laughs> that was the first one, and like that's part of what in your early 20s is being fueled about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like be a little angry. It'll help you. And then in 2016, I really felt like I'd come into my own. I learned a lot of things. I was a lot, of a, I was a lot smarter of an athlete. And before my spinal cord injury, I thought, wow, I've really created with my, um, with my physio, with my coach, with myself, something really incredible and special. And we've really come together to create this. And so it was really this, this drive to simply see how good I could be and not worry about anybody else. I really just wanted to see what I could do with my own body. And that was kind of very transcendent and the third olympics was i was in amazing shape and then things just didn't go my way i warmed up outside the stadium with some really beautiful throws that honestly might have meddled me and then on my first throw i tripped on my second throw i mistook someone else's mark for my own they were both green and so i ended up having to uh take in like i was I took too many steps and then I realized it too far down and I had to shorten up the second part of my runway and just salvage this throw. And then my third throw was cooled down, but it was interesting because I was actually planning on retiring at the end of the last year. And so every part of last year was, this might be the last time I'm here. This might be the last time I'm seeing this people. I should really enjoy this company. I should really take all of this in. Yeah. And I remember I was so disappointed after I competed, I thought, wow five years for this (laughs) and then I noticed that everybody around me uh, my qualifying round was really people didn't do well I don't know what was going on it was a lot of people did not throw well and I saw a lot of people that I knew that I've known for years just absolutely in tears yeah and I thought wow this is a really tough sport and all these women are from all around the world a lot of us are you know, 10 meters ahead of the next best competitor of our country. We're alone in this pursuit a lot of the mm. time, so to speak. And I thought, I have so much in common with these women and we haven't spent enough time together. And that was kind of sad, but I was like, wow, this is an opportunity to do another year and connect more with them. So it was a very, three very different reasons yeah. to go to the Olympics, three very different experiences at the Olympics.
0: Yeah, it looks like just 2016 probably was your best. A mental state and preparedness and experience as a whole, the best one. Is that correct?
1: No, I'd say 2020 was my best mental preparedness. Uh, 2012 was mm, tunnel vision, yep. which was very helpful at that time. And just getting older, you get a little more holistic about things, I think, when you've been doing something for a long time.
0: Yeah, uh, but you, you mentioned something interesting about uh, 2020 that a lot of people failed do you think that uh, the state that we were living between 19 and 20 with COVID had any impact on on the performance uh, because if, if everyone was having similar issues and everyone breaking down and, and things like that, do you think it, it was just the moments that the world was living uh, in 2020 that contributed with that performance?
1: I don't know. Uh, I know the men had a really hard time with the track surface because it was so hot that the track was actually melting a little. And so there was three guys who should have thrown a lot better than they threw, but it's because they're a lot bigger and they're a lot faster down the runway. And so they would slip on the runway. And so the guy who's been leading the world, he's been throwing 97 meters. I think he threw 84. Wow. And he didn't even medal. Wow. And the guy who medaled weighed... I think he weighs maybe like 180 pounds and he's really fast but he's really light so he didn't slip and so there might have been some girls who slept so that might have been something for some of them it was also early and it's also just exhausting an extra year yeah, that's, that's a, <laughs> a four year cycle yep, yep. with not the capacity like I was working out of my garage I was throwing in the freezing cold I'm amazed I threw as well as I did last year considering everything that we had Mm -hmm. to go through but for some people it was really like just emotionally difficult to not see their friends to not see their family just the additional stress of going to the Olympics and you can't even go for coffee with people because there's no there's no seating anywhere outside because they don't want anybody mingling you're only hanging out with your roommates like it's it's pretty isolated. So I think it was, it was just hard on people in general. I
0: agree. And But one thing that I noticed also, I was reading a lot about uh, your achievements is that throughout the years, you are pretty consistency on competing and achieving different goals, breaking records and all that. What is really the secret for the longevity? Because you've been on this sport for a long time and you, are, and you consistently are achieving new goals. Uh, any Any specific thing that you've been working on or a was just you know accumulation of a good health lifestyle practices, what do you yeah. h- how do you credit that longevity?
1: A uh, couple things one amazing physiotherapist um, <laughs> <laughs> my, my physiotherapist dr l j Lee like I can't talk say enough good things about her. She helps me design my program now we actually design it together, and so we do design a program that is above everything else, I have to be healthy because if I'm not healthy. I'm not throwing. So that's is the number one feature. And that's really a great thing. I have an amazing coach who works really well with me as a consultant for technical, um, Larry Stanky. And he, I'm actually at his house right now. He lets me stay in his guest bedroom and he lets me come here and train. He's wonderful. And very supportive family. Uh, They've never made me feel like, oh, when are you going to stop mucking around and go get a real job? They've never made me feel that way. They've always made me feel like what I'm doing is a worthwhile pursuit, which I really appreciate. And then on my own part, honestly, I think I'm just really curious. I, I think I see Javelin truly as an opportunity. It's so, it's an opportunity to prove what high performance habits can do. And that's what i think is really interesting i love all the little tricks and details and things that you can do to make yourself recover faster learn faster be in a better headspace to absorb information i love figuring this out and javelin at the end of the day it's about how far can you throw the stick <laughs> it's it's pretty pure um i don't have to worry about anybody else i don't have to smart outsmart anybody else so i can really feel like i can measure how i'm being impacted day to day because it's the same throw over and over and over all again right. How's my mental state? How's my emotional state? How was competing? When I did this before I competed, how did that affect my emotional state? When I did this before training, how did that affect the quality of my session? And if I have high quality sessions really frequently, they build up much faster. So I feel like that curiosity of how do I tweak this is really how I've emotionally been able to sustain such a long career doing the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again. So it's different ways to tackle the same problem.
0: Yeah. And and talking about career and job, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I met you via uh, an amazing seminar that you deliver, Win the Morning Like an Olympian. Awesome. I truly recommend. Um, And they Doing the cold showers, uh, everyone is talking about, it's pretty cool. (laughs) So um, during this training, uh, one thing that I perceived was like, I've been talking with uh, Olympians uh, throughout the show uh, Mainly here from the US Judokas and, and other sports as well And many times they, When they transition From being an athlete To go to like a real job They usually tend to go to Coach other athletes It's a very common transition Just to become a coach But be involved in the sport More on the coaching aspect uh, But again Focusing on other athletes And you, on the other hand, you created this seminar that can be used by anyone, not only athletes, any regular person that just wants to improve their quality of life. So I'm curious about uh, how that came to fruition and what was the rationale behind putting that together?
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I was for a long time where I mainly focused outside of track when I first started thinking, okay, other than like showing up and doing the work, how can I get better? The first thing everybody does food, nutrition, right, how do I eat, fuel my recovery, all this, and I was really far deep into the rabbit hole now for a couple of years, and then I started playing with my sleep and my morning routines and kind of my visualization, and I started dabbling all these things, but I very quickly realized that if I had a bad morning, it didn't matter <laughs> what I ate later on or, you know, if I if I ate something garbage for breakfast or if I visualized before practice or if I tried to get to sleep earlier if I didn't have a great morning or if I didn't start my day in a way that was productive or primed me to have a good day mentally or physically, it would really affect the quality of my whole day. And I thought, wow, if I just do this one thing, the chances that I do all these other things significantly increase. And so I started just telling myself, okay, I'm just gonna do a couple of these things in the morning that I know are like basic things that you can do that definitely help you start your morning better, like hydrating, like doing a little bit of movement before practice. like journaling or meditating like i started with those and i started realizing that i showed up at practice really differently and i thought oh okay now i really want to like dial into the science so i started going behind the science between all these different things all these different morning routines that different people have employed at different times and i remember at one point i had a, like an hour and a half long morning routine and as fabulous as it was um i still had 6 a.m practice and so i thought okay I want a little more sleep. How fast, If I, how much time do I need to dedicate to this to feel different? And that was where it really got fun. And I really started playing with it. And I realized that, oh, I can feel pretty great within 15 to 20 minutes if I just kind of prime my mind this way, prime my body this way, hydrate a little bit. It makes a huge difference in my day. And yes, there are days where I, I do a 40-minute or a 50-minute morning routine if I don't have to get up at the crack of dawn. Mm-hmm. But I kind of noticed was like, oh... This really makes it easier for me to do everything else if i want to take on a new habit later if i want to be in a good mental state if i want to be paying attention practice this has the biggest result and it's just a lot easier to start your day in a good place and then take off from there and you know your day could go it could go sideways at any point but i find that a morning routine vastly increases your chances of having a good day
0: yeah yeah no you're right but when what was the trigger for you to say okay let me package all this learning experience and you know and put in a seminar where I can deliver this to regular people right because again the, you yeah. are involved with athletes and you you thought outside of the box in, in helping other people to achieve other things so how that how did you tr- transition to package this uh, this seminar
1: Yeah uh, well actually so Airbnb is an Olympic sponsor
0: Oh, I didn't know that. And
1: so, yeah, they're an Olympic sponsor. And it's a new rule that uh, if you were an Olympic sponsor, you have to do something that benefits the athletes. It can't just be the International Olympic Committee getting money. It has to be more than that. It has to benefit the monkeys that are actually in the show. (laughs) So (laughs) they reached out to a bunch of different um, National Olympic Committees. And two of the athletes who sit on the board on the Canadian Olympic Committee reached out to me separately. And they said, Liz, we know you throw this event called Beers and Spears. I take people out javelin throwing and then I take them out for drinks after. <laughs> and they said, Airbnb is doing these online events now. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So they're like, you should really consider making an event. I was like, okay, cool. So I called Airbnb, we set up a call and I told them about what I had originally hosted. And I, I said, this is not to work. There's no javelin throwing inside during COVID. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is not an online event. And so we were talking about all the different things I love. I love to cook. I love nutrition. Um, I love high-performance habits in general and yoga. But then they said, well, what really like defines you as an athlete? And I said, I have a pretty anally retentive morning routine. <laughs> and they said, really? <laughs> so I explained to them what I do in a the morning. They said, that's really interesting. And, you know, it was definitely – I remember when I first started hosting them, I would host open experiences on Airbnb. So – I would have anywhere from like one people to 10 random people join my experience from all over the world because people were bored and looking to do stuff. (laughs) And they found out that Airbnb had these experiences. So I got to really test out this experience on hundreds of people, which was really cool. Wow. And now I've been hosting this event mainly for corporate companies probably for the last year. I've, I've hosted an open experience here and there but I'm, I've really transferred to corporate events just because I am training. It is a busy schedule. It's not full-blown COVID anymore, yeah. but uh, that's how I got into it. So its it really took off. I love that it's something that corporations love to have for their employees. It's really fun for me, and I love giving people just a couple like sneak peeks into small things that they can do that have a huge impact yeah, on it their It was day.
0: amazing. It was truly amazing. And I'm curious, did you ever try to do this like in person?
1: No, I haven't. It's uh, I haven't done this event in person. That'd be, I guess, I could probably do it at like a university or something. If you're at like their gym and they had showers and be like, hey, everybody go take your cold shower, or you could do it near a beach or something and get people to dive into cold water. Um, but no, not in person. Yeah, I, I can yet. only
0: imagine people doing squats like you did. Everyone in person, that would be nice. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a it was yeah. a great event. I highly recommend uh, for everyone that uh, is uh, listening to the show. Um, very, very uh, trick, little details that are important. Now, when did you start to implement that routine? It was back in 2016? It was prior to that? Or it was more like a gradual change over time?
1: It was actually 2000 and. I guess 2014 when I said no this is the routine I'm doing I'm sticking to it (laughs) this is the one and it has changed a little bit in the last two years just because I've had so much feedback from people and I've just been analyzing it over and over and over again and I really am but my biggest thing about this is that it's a minimum effective dose morning routine Mm -hmm. and so whenever I find a smaller thing to do that still has a great impact I've implemented that. So I've changed the journaling a little bit. I've even changed the meditation a little bit and I've just made it even more accessible. And it's actually made it easier for me too. But in 2014, that was really when I said, okay, I think, I think I've got it. I think this is the one. And I said, I'm going to stick with this all year through competition season of 2015. So I was doing it every day. And I remember about March, I had this really interesting realization. And it was that, I was at practice, and I'd made just some tiny little, tiny little advancement forward. And I thought, wow, I can actually, like, feel that I've been progressing these tiny little amounts every single day. And what the morning routine gave me more than anything was this consistent marker of knowing that I've always given myself the best start to the day. And I could really tell whether I was on or off, because I'd always have the same start to the morning. And so most of the time, I could say, no, I'm like, I know that I'm a little bit better than before because my morning has been the same every single day. And so it's really easy to compare and you start noticing that comparison when you have consistency in your life. And when I got to the Pan American Games in 2015, um, I I remember I got there and I was really calm and I did the exact same morning routine, same thing as usual. And I remember I was on the field of play and I thought it's literally like any other day. This is so weird. And in the, the first five rounds of the competition, I was leading. I was crushing it. I was on home soil. I was in Toronto and I was throwing really well. And then in the final round, the American passed me and the Brazilian passed me and I went from first to third, just like that. And I had the final throw of the competition because I'd been leading up until then. And so I remember like, I just got to the front of the runway. I turned around and this feeling came over me like, oh, you've already been here before. You've already won. You just need to do it. And so I got the crowd going. I got them to start clapping. And there's a great video of it online. You can just YouTube, like, Liz Gleedle Pan American Games 2015. And it's it's crazy. It's a crazy video. It's kind of electrifying. And you know I've won the competition even before I've thrown. And as I ran down the runway, I was just like, yep, got it. <laughs> I nailed it. As soon as it left my hand, I was like, that's the throw. That's the throw that's going to win wow. it. And, uh, yeah, it was this really cool moment where I was like, this is what consistency gets you. This is what consistently doing just – Some things that definitely make an impact every day builds. And so that's when it really hit me. Like I knew it was going to do something, but I didn't realize what effect it would have on my mental state. To be able to feel those small improvements every day is so motivating. And to get somewhere and be like, I know I've done the work to get here. All I have to do is execute it. I didn't doubt myself for a second. And there was other years where I didn't have that consistency. Like 2017, I didn't have that same consistency. I was dealing with... Um, some psychological issues from the disappointment of 2016 and I'd kind of let my morning routine go and it did have an impact on my season so it was kind of actually interesting to drop off from it as well and then come back to it again because it does create this real emotional mental psychological stability
0: yeah, yeah. it's interesting because you knew the formula you were using the formula and some other circumstances as you said you derail and you immediately notice that your performance dropped so that's how should, that, yeah. that's Uh, prove that the formula is correct, but you have to implement the formula correctly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, or even just consistency. Um, I find that it's a real telltale sign that athletes don't have belief in themselves when they start trying to find little ways to make themselves feel safe like okay I'm gonna I've got to do my makeup the same at the same meet I've got to eat the certain meal I've got to play the song and like sometimes these things do do things for us but realistically they're things that comfort us they're not things that actually create a shift in mental state in quite the same way that guarantees a shift in positive physiology or positive mental thoughts and when we start relying on weird little activities or crutches or charms as a crutch then it can really feel derailing when we don't do well and we thought that that would be something that helps us so i find that if you're ever like you know you got to you got to have this shirt or you got to you got to play this song you got to do your hair the certain way that's when i find like okay we need some consistency in your life that really makes you feel like no matter what doesn't matter what you're wearing, doesn't matter what I, you have on you,
0: you can perform. Almost, uh, yeah. The other aspects are more, almost like superstitious is, you know, uh, as you said, to make you feel more comfortable. But in reality, they are not really doing a lot of things. Uh, it's really the routine uh, and the, the things that you do that will uh, shape your mental state. Um, so 2014 was when you implemented this and you you improved over time, making some tweaks, as you said. Um, and, and today... You feel like you mature this process enough That you can just, you know, give away uh, in your seminar And uh, have you got any feedback from from people from your seminar Saying, hey, thank you very much My life changed after that You've seen improvement in, in people as well?
1: yeah absolutely i am um, oh i love getting reviews on airbnb <laughs> it's like one of the most gratifying things ever it's people are like i love this and a lot of people have said i waited like two weeks to do this review because i wanted to do this routine for a couple of weeks and see how i felt and the, my favorite thing is when people start saying i'm taking cold showers every day this really has changed my life like i i love making you know cold showers accessible to people i find that i introduce it in such a way where it feels like people are like oh this is easier than it sounds because a lot of people just don't have the right information or the thing that makes them think oh that sounds worthwhile mm-hmm. and what i do in when the morning is a lot of the time i take kind of the most interesting piece of science that i found flipped a switch for me and a couple of how-to's that make something way more accessible and then all of a sudden people take to it really quickly because it is a lot more accessible than people realize yeah. so it's kind of little things like that, but definitely, I think the biggest one people take up is always the salt water line, because <laughs> that is the easiest. And hydration is so key, and you know it's really easy, it's refreshing, it's super pleasant. And then I like to say everything else: um, meditation, the choosing your blank slate, so choosing your first thoughts, a uh, little bit of movement, and the cold shower. Different people take to different things, yep. and I love to always say they're tools in the toolkit you can absolutely do all five and they will absolutely give you a really big boost but sometimes someone just has time for one thing and that's enough for them to make give them this shift in mental state or shift in physiological state that's really rewarding so different people take on different quantities but it's it's very very rewarding to know that i've done a couple things for a couple people that's for sure made their mornings and lives a little better
0: Absolutely. this uh, is incredible what uh, some little changes can do in when it's done consistently, you see the result at the end. Now, when you start to implement those things in 2014, did were you inspired by someone, or it was just based on your own research, and you kind of used yourself as a lab to make those things, Did or, uh, or you had a coach that said you should do this?
1: Um, I actually had a previous boyfriend introduced me to Saltwater Lime. He was a rower. Um, and he got that from Charles Polquin, who's a very famous trainer, and called Cold exposure is something track athletes just do. I've been taking ice baths since I was 15, um, but obviously Wim Hof popularized it and that made it a lot more accessible and interesting. So that's when I started taking more cold showers. And um, meditation is something, I've, I've read a lot of books on meditation. I've done 10 day meditation retreats. I've, uh, I've used every single app. I've meditated for, for a certain amount of time and felt like I'd reached Nirvana and then come back. <laughs> and then the next day I've been so frustrated because I had 10 minutes to meditate. And I was like, what's the point? <sighs> I've really experimented with a lot of these things and I've, exper- I've done a lot of journaling. I still write every day, but it's a lot of stuff that, um, you know, I've gotten some stuff from Tim Ferriss uh, from the four hour work week and the four hour body. And, you know, you always draw different things, from different people, and you put your own personal spin on it. And a lot of the time it's it's figuring out why do I actually want to do this thing? What is the reason for this? What is the reason why I want to take a cold shower? Or what is the reason why I actually want to meditate? And when you start getting down to the root of it, when you actually know the real reason for this, other than I just want to be an impressive person or you know I want to work out and look sexy, when you get down to the real root of it, that's when you really start to really attack something and really want to make it your own because it feels so relevant
0: to you. Yep. You know, if you know the why, it's always important to know the why. I remember talking to Laura Stewart. She wrote a book about this. It's called uh, it's all about the question. And she mentioned many times, it's all about, you know, understand the why even before you start. So why are you doing this? Why are you going to this direction, right? So I, I think that that matched a lot with uh, what you said.
1: Yeah, and sometimes the why is almost embarrassing. Like in 2012, I was like, I want to prove everybody wrong. <laughs> I want to prove them that, no, like I do. Like a lot of people thought that I just partied a lot. And I was like, no, I know how to have a good time, but I work really hard. And I used to lift with the boys. I used to outlift some guys on the football team <laughs> because, you know, I love a good challenge. And so I think a lot of people thought that I couldn't just wholly dedicate myself to something. And, you know, at that time, that was my why. And it fueled me because I knew it. And I find that it's okay to have a why that's not completely pure or, you know, what everybody else expects it to be. It's okay to have that why.
0: Yeah. Um, over the, over time, you've, you've seen the growth of social media and the... Impact that uh, opinions have. Uh, do you feel uh, uh, this feedback from from fans and from people that admire your work something that feeds you with motivation, or you really don't you know you don't really pay too much attention for comments and the negativity that we also know that exists in social media? How do you uh, manage that?
1: Uh, I think it's pretty easy for me. I most of my fans follow me for javelin. <laughs> Uh, they follow me as a javelin thrower, and I generally, I think, I, I avoid a lot of negative comments in general, just because I'm very careful to say this is not even an opinion. I'd say this is what I'm currently doing, and I find it does this for me. Mm-hmm. It might do this for you, right. or like here's a study. Um, I try not to get involved in politics, not because I don't have political beliefs, but or you know certain beliefs about different things, but because I simply don't have the energy to argue with people about it.
0: Excellent choice. <laughs> Excellent choice.
1: Yeah, not at this point in my life anyway. I stand for some things, but right now I've got enough on my plate. Um, but I think I'm definitely fueled by helping people. Um, and I don't find it's in, it's fortunately for me, it doesn't feel in an egotistical way. I love making someone's life a little better. I love helping younger athletes. Um, the newsletter I just started writing, it's, it's made for everybody, but I called it the Varsity Glow Up because I truly believe that Varsity athletes, a lot of the time, they feel like they've hit their peak, their physiological peak. They're like, I, I work really hard. I'm doing the same work, but I'm not advancing the same way I was two three, or two, three years ago. And I realized, I'm like, no, it, it's not bad. It's that you're ready for high performance habits step. And that's where your next big leap is going to come from. And that's where I realize when people start implementing just a couple small things, when they implement foundational high performance skills, that's when they make this huge leap. And I've been able to do a lot of mentoring one-on-one with some other athletes at UBC. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that they made huge leaps. And I felt such an immense amount of pride in having a small part in their journey and helping them move forward when they might have otherwise quit. And so that's deeply rewarding to me to see, oh, they might have been stuck and they might have not gone on. And this little thing that I might have helped them with really helped them in their couple of last years. So that's kind of where I get a huge... Reward right. is seeing somebody do really well. I don't even you know, I love getting reviews. I love hearing that people are doing really well that always makes me feel good. Public recognition is always lovely. but anytime I just hear that I've made a really positive impact for someone, that's that's really something that fuels me.
0: yeah I, I, I'm with you on that. Now what is your advice for that since you always think so broadly about uh, people's health style and everything? what is your advice for that amateur athlete? or that amateur that actually started competing later on, master level, 40 years old. Uh, And the body, of course, doesn't respond at the same speed as far as recovery and everything. Uh, But I've seen a lot of movement nowadays of people, myself included, that starts to have uh, a a hobby in, in some sort of sports. Uh, I, for exactly. example, I do jujitsu. I love jiu-jitsu, uh, and, uh, but it's something that I notice after 40s the body needs more rest and we need to even be even more careful with uh, with recovery. Yeah. What was your take on, on that, you know, master level athlete?
1: Um, protein, 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 protein. <laughs> <laughs> protein really helps recovery and definitely carbohydrate after workout. Um, it's it's crazy how much it extends your insulin sensitivity post-workout, and it really decreases your soreness. I think that's one thing that a lot of people who especially get into sports later, they they don't understand that. And I know a lot of men, what, and what men end up doing is they say, okay, I know I have to have protein. So they have like 45 or 50 grams of protein, and then they get really constipated. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It happens all the time. And so for men, I'd say, you know, definitely have protein after a workout, you know, 25, 20 to 30 grams maximum and have some carb and you will not be as sore the next day and you will recover faster. Um, Protein extends your insulin window, your insulin sensitivity window, makes you pick up carbohydrate into your muscles faster, makes you not feel so gassed the next day. That'd be the first thing I'd say. And then the second thing is work on one to three things at a time. Um, And, you know, do it for two to three weeks. And you can reassess every two to three weeks and say, okay, do I wanna come back to these things and make sure I'm still focusing on these or do I I wanna go on to something else? And I find this is especially important in javelin, for example, which you can focus on many different parts of the body at any period in time in the throw. But what happens when you move your attention around too often, you might make tiny little improvements here and there, but you're not gonna move one thing drastically forward. And then people get really frustrated and they feel like they're going nowhere in their sport. Mm-hmm. And so one thing to be really clear on is, okay, for the next two to three weeks, I'm trying to work on this one specific motion, this one specific strength hole, this one thing where I keep getting caught by this other person who keeps getting me in this move, and I wanna recognize the body patterns that actually lead to that movement so I can anticipate it. So it doesn't matter you know, what you're doing, but I love to say like, pick one thing, get it to 80% efficiency, and then move on or if you just love focusing on that one thing stay there but i really find that if you can identify the foundation that will make everything else easier pick 1 to 3 things and then move on consistently you will see faster growth and you will you become a specialist within a couple of weeks yes. and then you can keep going so become a specialist over and over and over again and don't worry about some things leave them for later they're meant for later
0: great tip great tip i love that when are you going to write your own book with all those tips? Um, because during the <laughs> seminar, you, you advised, uh, you gave some some books uh, uh, as a, a reading material. When are you going to have your own? Because I think you have a lot of content to share.
1: Thank you. Um, I don't know. Right now, I'm actually working on a course. And I want to create a course for people to basically say, a lot of the time we get many habits. And again, people try to do these life overhauls. And then it's a lot of things at once, it's too many things to focus on, and it becomes really challenging and overwhelming and people give up. And so I'd love to create a course where I'd say, okay, here's a couple, here's two habits that we're gonna implement and we're gonna make them super easy and then the foundation for everything else. And so you'd learn about them a little bit, you get check-ins from me, you maybe have an accountability group, and then a month later you implement another habit. And then at the end of several months you've now built up this new system and you've had people supporting you along the way where that you can get to this new place in your life by getting the right habits in the right order so that it can support you in everything else you want to do so i think the course is going to be the first step but i definitely i probably could make it into a book at some point and say don't read the next chapter until you've done this stuff (laughs) first stop stop
0: (laughs) then move on and and this course is gonna be something that people can like buy on your website or something.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's probably. Um, I'm hoping to have it probably available in the fall of this year. I'd like to create some more courses for varsity athletes that are really short and just give them the tiny little boost that they need. But I definitely want to create a course, hopefully this fall, and launch something really special.
0: Oh, I. I'd be interested to definitely take a look on that because I think it's it's good. Thank you. Uh, to make uh, all those improvements. What about uh, one last question here? Paris 2024. Are you planning to go?
1: Not right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually uh, I was planning on not doing this year at all, and then I realized the thing that made me want to come back was that I had such a blast going through my perceived last year is like, oh, this could be the last time I'm doing this. This could be the last time I'm doing this. Be fully present. Enjoy it. And I learned so much about myself. And it felt like I was watching myself from the outside making good or bad decisions. And it really helped me even more, like create the art of recovery, which I only launched after the Olympics. And it was really being able to not just fully be in it, but actually step outside of myself for the first time. And I thought, I want another year of this. I want another year of performing and again, I journal every day and I still have, I have all these notes. I have years of journals, years of training documents, years of physiotherapy notes and everything else. And I basically wanted to say, okay, I want to fully on purpose pay attention for the next year and see what happens and be able to take this and share it with other people as I've been going. I've been sharing a lot on my Instagram lately because I've wanted to get into the journey a little bit more and help other athletes. So. Yeah, that's what that's what's going on this year. I'd have to probably get another sponsorship or <laughs> start charging a lot more for my win the morning sessions. But um, yeah, Paris right now is it's not on my radar, but Eugene twenty twenty two is for world championships.
0: Okay, that's an excellent goal. So you you ha- you are preparing, training, everything, aiming to compete and they have a great performance there, right?
1: Yeah, my uh, my goals for this year were to have fun. Be warm, uh, be around people that I like, um, or be around other javelin throwers who are very, very good. And so far, I've got many of those things lined up.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. It's always important to have goals. And I'm pretty sure that as soon as you achieve that one, you're going to come up with the next. It might be <laughs> the Olympics. Who knows?
1: <laughs> who knows? I'm, I'm open to many things.
0: That's great. Well, Liz, thank you very much. Keep uh, inspiring people with uh, with your programs. I'm really glad that uh, we, we find you on Airbnb, actually, and uh, and, and I think it was, a, it was a great learning experience for the whole team, for everyone, so I strongly recommend you all to uh, check uh, this great uh, win the morning like an Olympia by Liz. Okay, Liz, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. It was so nice time.
0: Take care. All right, everyone, that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you very much, and see you next time.